Mark 9, yes. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say. For they were terrified, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Amen. Amen. Awesome. I want us to continue looking at Mark together, and it's really Mark is... is uh, Ah, uh, this is such a good passage. Uh, it was hard to, like, I'm like wanting to try to get everything in there, but um, we won't be doing that. But um, Mark, really, the first half of it is looking at Jesus as King, um, and He is coming and bringing His kingdom. He's bringing His reign. He's starting to reign on earth. And then the second half of it is really he's starting to look to the cross. And it's a march to the cross. And it's the king and his cross. And we talked about last week how it's the king and our cross, your cross, as Christians. And the context for this passage is, is, is really key for understanding it. And I think God's main point for us. And it's going to really tie in very nicely with what Rebecca was sharing too, um, which is neat. So he says to them at the end of verse 9 right here, he says, And truly, I say to you, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God as has come in power. And he's, he's giving this, them this encouragement because he just told them, All right, I'm going to, the Messiah is going to suffer. He's going to die. But he's going to be raised back from the dead. He's going to suffer um, from the religious leaders. They're going to beat him. They're going to malign him. But then he turns and says, all right, this is Jesus, um, excuse me, Peter starts to rebuke him, right? Peter starts to say, Jesus, what are you saying? Stop, you know? How you? <laughs> but and Jesus says, all right, you know what? The Messiah has come to save his people through suffering. But also, Christians, you are all going to suffer too. To follow me means, means to suffer. And that's hard. And it was some challenging words. And so it's in that context that he gives this. 
where he talks about this and we get we see this and it's also the main point i think mark is wanting us to know is that you can delight in jesus while you suffer for him you can delight in jesus as you suffer for him that's the kind of the context of it and you know maybe we many of us think that oh man i don't i'm not really like suffering for jesus like like oh persecution that's like way up there suffering for jesus this this big lofty thing but these these are these ways that i think that we do suffer for jesus first thing is it's, it's difficult to follow god right it's difficult to follow god it's hard we go on and on about that second thing is it's difficult to love people rebecca was sharing about this it's difficult to love people to get into their lives people are messy and broken they're imperfect people like we are <laughs> difficult to love <laughs> yeah ask chelsea <laughs> a mother's love there you go another thing is we suffer because self-sacrifice and love is hard right the center of the universe the center of what's the chief virtue right love and loving people means selflessness it means sacrificing and that's hard that's suffering we don't naturally want to do it we don't naturally wake up every day and be like oh man let's see how much i can sacrifice let's see how selfless i can be no at least i don't we suffer because also self-denial and sin killing is laborious work so being a follower of Jesus, denying yourself, killing your own sin is hard. Jesus says it's like plucking out your own eye, cutting off your hand. It's warfare. That doesn't sound very pleasant to me. We suffer because we're in a spiritual battle. It talks about this throughout the Bible. The devil is like a prowling lion. Oh, sometimes I remember that when I wake up. All right, the devil... He doesn't, he, you know, he does, he's not wishing me well today, all right? He's like a, he's a prowling lion. And we suffer because Christians, we are sorrowful over sin. We're far, sorrowful for the sin of the, of the world. Man, there's brokenness, right? You read the headlines every day. There's brokenness in people around us. There's brokenness in our own lives. That's, that's suffering, too. That's Christian suffering. And we suffer also because of persecution. For us, it's maybe more of, just, all right, we're made fun of. We don't do the same things as other people do. Workplaces can be difficult, toxic places for a Christian. We don't go out with our friends after work, drinking with everyone else. People misunderstand us. They malign us. They say we're bigoted or self-righteous. We suffer because the way is hard. We suffer because the way is hard. It's narrow, it says. But this passage gives us some good news that we can delight in Jesus. We can delight in Jesus. All right, so how can we embrace this life? How can we find, follow God if this is suffering? Like, why would we want to do that? How can we do that? Mark gives us this. Four reasons here, I think, for us to delight in Jesus. Four reasons for us to delight in Jesus, even as we suffer. The first thing is that we see that Jesus is glorious. Jesus is glorious. Let's look at verse 1 through 3 together. He encourages them that some of you here 
some of these dis disciples, the 12, they're not going to taste death until they see the kingdom of God come with power. And I think there's some later fulfillment to that, but also right here, it appears in three of the Gospels, this, the transfiguration takes place right after it. Right after it. And this is a pretty amazing thing that happens here. And it says, six days after, verses two, six days after, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and they were led up to a high mountain by themselves. And it says that he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. I love that uh, description right there. So he leads them up to a high mountain. What does this sound like to the good Jewish person who knows the Old Testament? Sounds like Moses going up to Sinai. Maybe Elijah going up to the mountain. It reminds us of the first covenant, the Old Testament. Transfigured, that the word we get for that in the Greek is metamorphosis, where we get the word metamorphosis. So Jesus is metamorphosized. He's transfigured before them. What we really see is it's like the Holy of Holies, right? The place in the temple where no one can go to except the priest. One t the high priest, one time a year, right? We get a little glimpse into the Holy of Holies right here to see who God is. Moses, he went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, right? In the first covenant, old covenant. And Moses goes down to speak with God. He would, his face, when he comes down, it would glow, it was like an afterglow for a few days, right? To a point where it scared people so much that he had to put a veil before his face for a little while. And then it eventually would go away. But right here, Jesus is shining with his own glory, with his own radiance. As no one on earth could bleach them. That's how intensely white radiant he is. Jesus is glorious. We get a tiny glimpse, Peter, James, and John right here, is into the expansive weight of God's glory, just how amazing and beautiful God is. Again, Mark is trying to get all of us, trying to get his readers to realize, all right, this Jesus is not just another prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's God himself. He's God. He's infinite. He's immutable. He's self-sufficient. He's all-powerful. This God who knows everything, who is why, who's perfect, good, merciful, eternal, and yet personal. That's the God. So maybe some applications for us this week is what are some ways that we can delight in Jesus? What are some ways that we can delight, delight in Jesus? Maybe as you um, pray this week or something, you can make a list of how Jesus is glorious. Uh, just as Rebecca was testifying, just as we were sharing some um, praises, that you can make a list. All right, how has Jesus been glorious to me? How is Jesus glorious? Maybe you could do a scripture study on it or on the attributes of God. Um, Jesus is glorious. And when we suffer, we realize how much more sweet he is. We can realize how delightful he is. And that, and that changes us when we go through hard times because we we're going to go through hard times. We go through suffering. We do. It's hard. I remember a quick story to finish this point. I remember hearing... Um, years, years ago, about a church planner in Mongolia. So church planning is super, super hard. All right, and this guy was an overseas cross-cultural missionary. He was in Mongolia, 
He originally didn't know the language and everything, and he's church planning in Mongolia. And this guy has um, physical problems where he's in a lot of pain all the time. And ministry is hard. And what I heard about is that what this guy did was he would spend time, all the time, meditating on God's glory. He would meditate on God's glory. And then that's where the suffering of this life faded away. That's how he kept going. He delighted in God, meditate. He would just meditate. He would think about heaven. He would think about God's glory. He would meditate on that. Friends, we can endure suffering taking up our cross because Jesus is glorious. He is worthy. He's beautiful. Second thing we see is Jesus in the, is the final revelation of God. It's the final revelation of God, verses 4 through 8. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Whoa, what? Elijah and Moses, and they're talking with Jesus. From, yeah, hundreds of years ago. Yeah, hundreds of years ago. And Moses, thousands of years ago had lived. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's high, highly symbolic. So in the Old Testament, these were the pinnacle leaders of the Old Testament. All right? Moses represents the law. Moses represents the law. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, which we call the Torah, the law. And Elijah represents the prophets, which is kind of the whole rest of the Bible. So we see right here the representative, the leader from the law, and the prophets are right next to Jesus. And they're speaking with and assisting Jesus. And so, Peter, understandably, is very confused. He's seeing Jesus, the glory of Jesus, right there, and then Moses and Elijah. And he, Peter, of course, he opens his big mouth, <laughs> and he says, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. I'll get back to that. So, Peter is confused here. After all, there's Moses and Elijah here. Maybe he's thinking, all right, he, maybe Jesus actually is going to establish his earthly kingdom now. So let me, let's build some tents. <laughs> let's take care of you and your, and, your follow, and your assistance. And he still doesn't understand, though, the cross. He still doesn't understand that he's not establishing a kingdom, a physical kingdom on earth now. He doesn't understand the first and second coming. Verse 7, 8, a cloud overshadows them. A voice comes out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Again, this sounds like Moses and Mount Sinai, right? Moses, God had told them, all right, don't let the rest of the people go up or even touch the mountain. He has Moses and Aaron fence them off when, when Moses goes up there to receive the Ten Commandments. No one, nothing can touch the mountain. God is holy. If you see God, Moses, he tells Moses too later on, like, you can die, right? And you see there's a cloud and there's thunder and there's lightnings and the people are so scared of God. But here we see 
all right, that there's, there's a cloud that overshadows them, all right, as we're seeing a little glimpse of Jesus' glory. And then, this is really symbolic, right? There's the law and the prophets. And Moses and Peter is like, let me, let me serve you. Let me, the three tents. And then we hear God say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And then no one is left except for Jesus. All right, so Jesus comes and he's the final revelation of God. Moses was just pointing the way to Jesus. Elijah was just pointing the way to Jesus. All of the Old Testament is about that. Hebrews 1 says, But now God has spoken through his Son. God spoke through many times. He spoke through the law. He spoke through the prophets. But now he spoke to his Son. He, Jesus answers the fundamental question about God. Is God out to get me? Does he love me? Is God out to get me? Does he love me? He answers that. And what he says is, listen to them. What do I mean by this? This is the key to understanding the Old Testament and the whole Bible. You see, the law, apart from Christ, will condemn you. Without understanding Jesus, the prophets will beat you down. The prophets will fill you with terror of God's judgment, that you're not good enough. But Jesus is the final revelation of God. He shows grace and truth. He shows the glory and majesty of God. He shows the, that you don't measure up, but then he measures up for you. Listen to him. Delight in Jesus as you suffer for him. Because it shows you this. Jesus came to show us God's love, his compassion, his mercy, his grace. So that when things happen, this is how it's tied together. When things happen in your life that are bad, that are hard, when you suffer, you can know it's not because God is trying to punish me. It's not because he doesn't care about me. He loves me. He answered that in Jesus. All right, third thing, verses 9 through 13. And they were coming down from the mountain. He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead meant, might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? So he tells them, all right, don't tell anyone about this, what just happened. You saw this glory. You heard God. You saw me transfigured until after the cross, until after the resurrection. You're not going to understand it now. You're not going to understand it now. And, you know, let's be real when we talk about our, our suffering and, and hardships. And when the crisis strikes in our lives, when... Week in and week out, we often think, I think like Peter is thinking in this, and he was just thinking in the passage we read last week, that we're, one, we're wanting, you see, Peter is, is saying, all right, is it the time? What? He's reminded of Elijah, and he's saying, all right, he's wanting to build these tents for him, because he's saying, all right, he wants the crown now. He doesn't want the cross. He wants Jesus' earthly kingdom 
now to come. And many of us, we feel like, man, once life is slipping away, when we haven't met our goals, we didn't get overseas like we were thinking we would get, you know, we didn't get that job that we thought we'd get, when we don't have that, maybe that house or that family that we want, when our relationships are broken, when maybe we even meet our goals, we still aren't satisfied with life. We become frustrated. And like Peter, we can think, maybe, maybe God's timing is off. Wait, wait, wait. I want, I want the crown now, right? Not the cross. But the gospel has some good news for us. He has some very good news for us. You see, there's this great cloud of witnesses who are also have suffered. He talks about Elijah here. Elijah suffered, right? He was against Ahab and Jezebel. Moses, he suffered when all the people were grumbling. He talks about uh, Elijah here. Why did the scribes say, Peter asks, why Elijah must come first? And Jesus says to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. He does come first. And then he says, but I tell you, verse 13, that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased, as is written of him. So in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, it says that, all right, Elijah is going to come. Someone's going to come in the spirit of Elijah and is going to restore the people. John the Baptist was that Elijah. He says so, that he was the one who came and to prepare the way of the Lord. He prepared the way for people to point to Jesus. And so why do the scribes say that at first Elijah must come? So he says he did come and that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as is written of him. So he's saying, all right, John the Baptist was that Elijah and he came and look what they did to him. They prepared the way for me and then look what they did to him. We had found out a few chapters from before this in Mark that they beheaded John. So all right, even this New Testament Elijah, John the Baptist, he suffered too. So we have to think too in our lives. All right, are we going to suffer as well? Now, we might not get our head cut off, you know, but he's trying to say, all right, there are people who we're all going to suffer too, that there are no certain guarantees. This life is going to be hard. But you can still delight in me. There's still a way. There's this great cloud of witnesses of people, of suffering Christians who have gone before. It talks about this in Hebrews 11 and 12. There's this great cloud of witnesses. Can you imagine, picture yourself in, surrounded by a crowd, a stadium full of people, women and men, faithful believers throughout the centuries for thousands of years and they're saying go Rebecca go Philip go they're cheering us on a cloud of witnesses Hebrew says fellow sufferers who delighted in Jesus they're saying don't go up it's worth it we're here now in the presence of God in the bliss of God's presence we can do it you can make it so the third point is that as we delight in Jesus, we can know that, all right, we, there are others who suffered before. There are others that also suffered. There's solidarity there too. Other Christians suffered. It, this is normal. There's har hardship, but it's 
normal. This is part of the Christian life, and we can still delight in God with it, as Moses did, as Elijah did, as John the Baptist did, as many Christians throughout history have. And lastly, verse 12, verse 9 and 12, it says, uh, he reminds them, he charged no one to tell them what they said until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So that implied that first, again, the Son of Man, as he was telling them right before this passage, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And he says, two, and he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, but then he brings him back. He brings him back because there's this kind of tangential question that Peter was asking. He's like, what about Elijah? I just saw Elijah. What about him? He says, all right, remember though, and Jesus asked him a question to get him thinking. He says, how is it written that the Son of Man should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Because they had this idea that, all right, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come and he's going to set us free from the Romans. All our problems are going to be over. No more hardship. No more suffering. The crown is going to come now. God's kingdom is going to come down to earth. But it was in a totally different way than Jesus actually did. They still were thinking of that. But he's saying, all right, reminds them, how is it that the Son of God is going to be treated with contempt? And so the fourth and last thing for us that we can be encouraged in, that we can delight in Jesus because Jesus also suffered. Jesus also suffered. And that is encouraging. There's solidarity there. And that Jesus suffered for us. It's no doubt, it's an allusion to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I want to finish with this. That the suffering servant of the Lord, Isaiah had prophesied this. That there is, that Jesus, the Messiah, would come and suffer for his people. Would suffer for his people. You know, it's the reason why, for me, uh, that I get together. I've done this for years when I was a youth pastor and then now with a church planner. I get together monthly with guys and then with one-on-one -on -one meetings too. I get together with other pastors and we swap stories. I would get together with other youth pastors and say, Oh man, are there other parents that are bugging you too? <laughs> What's your problem, students? You know, and we could vent, but also we could share the joys of what's going on in ministry and lives being transformed and we'd suffer the the hardship and like man this is this is hard it's exhausting you know how many times have you eaten pizza <laughs> how many nights have you stayed up with all-nighters with kids you know and then i do the same thing with church planners too and we have solidarity together and it's powerful i need that we have solidarity with someone much better fully understands us and who suffered ultimately for us and we get to join him in that exactly god the suffering servant i just want to read a few verses from isaiah 53 it says that this man would be despised and rejected by men are you sometimes despised or rejected by men he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief are you acquainted with grief in your life do you have sorrows in your life take Comfort, because so was Jesus, to the nth degree. He was as one who uh, 
Rebecca was talking about this. He wasn't attractive. Men hid their faces from him. He borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressors. He was crushed. We have a high priest who understands us fully and one that has suffered in every way as we have, the Bible said, every way that we have. Proverbs 14.10, it says this. It's a very interesting thing, but I think it's really interesting to think of in light of Jesus and the solidarity we have with him. It says, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger or no one shares its joy. The heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger, no one shares its joy. That can be a first a depressing verse when you think about it on service level. Like, all right, man, no one understands me. No one can share when I'm so happy about something so joyful. No one really quite understands that. And my heart, man, man my heart, when I'm so bitter, when I'm depressed, when I'm having such sorrow, no one can understand me fully, not even my spouse. But Jesus does. Jesus does, friends. He is the one who perfectly understands us. He suffered the temptations of sin. He was rejected by family and friends, by men and women. He suffered as he looked to obey God. And so we can take solidarity of that. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith so that we can delight in him. We can find solidarity in him because he do this. I want to finish with this one quote that we can be encouraged that we can delight in God because we have an older brother who's gone ahead of us, who's gone before us. Um, John Calvin, he says this. He talks about this. He, he goes on this passage about Christ's cross and ours. And he says this. He says, It is the heavenly Father's will thus to exercise them as to put his own children to a definite test beginning with Christ, his firstborn. He follows this plan with all his children. For even though the son was beloved above the rest, and yet in him the father's mind was well pleased. Yet we see that far from being treated indulgently, softly, to speak the truth, while he dwelt here on earth, he was only tried. His life, it says, was a perpetual cross. It was nothing but a sort of perpetual cross. Why should we exempt ourselves, therefore, from the condition to which Christ our head had to submit, especially since he submitted to it for our sake, to show us an example of patience in himself? Hence, also in harsh and difficult conditions regarded as adverse and evil, when we're going through a hard time, when we think, man, this is, this is evil, what's going on? A great comfort comes to us because we share Christ's suffering in order that as he passed from a labyrinth of all evils into heavenly glory, we may in like manner be led through various tribulations to the same glory. How much can we do to soften all the bitterness of the cross that the more we are afflicted with adversities, the more surely our fellowship with Christ is confirmed. By communion with him, the very sufferings of themselves not only become blessed to us, but to help much in promoting our salvation. We can delight in Jesus as we suffer for him. We can find solidarity with him, that he ultimately brought us to him through the cross. And then we're brought into knowing God, like Rebecca was saying, through our sufferings as well. 
four reasons we have from this passage to delight in God. That Jesus is glorious. Jesus is the final revelation of God. He showed us that God loves us. Jesus' followers also suffered. We can take solidarity with that. We can take solidarity with Jesus that Jesus also suffered for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your love. We thank you that you uh, have loved us with an everlasting love, that you show us the heart of the Father. Lord, and through the trials and tribulations of this life, we know that you are, Jesus is glorious. We know that uh, we have a brother who has gone ahead of us. Lord, and we pray that we, and thank you that we can delight in him no matter what life throws at us, God. And I pray that you'd give us all a picture of the glory of Christ, of this beloved Son with whom you are well pleased. And that through him, now that you've made us, that we are well pleased to you as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.